Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a tale as old as time. He's handsome, debonair. She's pretty and sweet. They lock eyes across the room. Okay, hold on. Honey, you need to get your facts straight. Finding love today is more like... Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I just want somebody to share my life. What does his text mean? Maybe he's just not that into me. Is this this relationship relationship going going anywhere? anywhere? You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Thank you for joining me on another fascinating episode of Dates and Mates. I gotta ask you, are you still using the five love languages to understand the relationship in your life? Well, it might be time to put a new spin on that. Today, we are joined by Molly Owens, the CEO and founder of Truity. Molly is here today to walk us through new research that indicates there are actually not five love languages, but seven love styles experienced in modern day relationships. And I will share my results from the love styles test with you. And oh boy, this is a good system. But you know the drill. First, I got to serve you a hot dish. The headlines this week are your match wants to meet up for a coffee date. The new trend that has dawned on daters. And does your date look just like you? Maybe you're dating your doppelbanger. (laughs) Then later I'll answer questions from you like, I have an anxious attachment style, so when should I tell my partner? And a 10-mile radius feels restrictive. When should I consider expanding my search parameters and even relocating? Lovers, it's happening. Let's dish. D's dating dish. The Independent covers a new trend we call dawn dating. You can probably guess what this means. It's going on dates in the morning. According to data from dating app Badu, more than half of single people have been on a morning date recently or would like to do so. Badu surveyed a thousand of its users and 71% of single people on the app said they would be impressed if someone asked them to go on a date in the morning. So why is this trending? Here's the deal. We talked a few weeks ago about dry dating and how intertwined with dating culture alcohol is. So almost half of the people they surveyed enjoy the fact that there's no expectation to drink alcohol on the date. And you've heard me say on this show before, hot tip, you must set a drink maximum before you go on a date. Morning, night, like, look, you might be going for mimosas. So I th- this rule may still apply, but I really recommend that you know what your limits are. And the limit is when you feel that you are not making clear choices anymore. When you feel like you are not able to listen, you're not your best self, you might reveal something that you would not normally share if you were clear-headed. That is your drink maximum. For me, it was one. For you, it might be seven. I don't know. I doubt that. But, you know, check check the math for yourself. 
35% of the people they surveyed said it's just a nice way to start the day. I'm just like starting the day with the date. This is cute. It makes a whole day optimistic, right? A third said that they prefer a morning date because they feel fresher and more energized at the time. Yeah, morning person here, guilty as charged. People said they felt more confident and they felt like they got to know their date on a deeper level. I think this is really interesting. And I, you know, I'm all about changing dating norms and shifting things to see if you get a different result. So I know for me, I am dead brained by like mm, eight o'clock, maybe 830. If this is you, then maybe you should try dawn dating. I never did it, but but I'm going to live vicariously through you. If you feel like you don't have the best energy or maybe going through your work day zaps your energy and then you get to the date and you're like, I don't even want to be here. You don't have to delete your dating apps or do something drastic or get a crazy haircut or buy a whole new wardrobe. Just say like, hey, what would happen if we go for brunch or breakfast or coffee in the morning instead of drinks in the night? You can use your experiences to craft your dating life in a way that really supports you and makes you feel like your best self. So I'm here for it. Dawn dating. Let me know how it works for you. According to the Daily Mail, you may be dating your doppelbanger. This is when you are dating someone who looks just like you. And if you have noticed a trend like this, you may be in good company with celebrities like Kristen Stewart. But I think there's a little bit more to this after reading the Daily Mail article. The term doppelbanger is used mostly in the LGBTQ community when somebody is dating someone who bears a resemblance to themselves. But when you step back and look at these patterns overall, there is something in attracting someone who either looks like you and shares similar features. So an example of this in the article is Tom Brady and Giselle Bundchen. Like they have the bestest cheekbones ever and, you know, the similar colored eyes and similar colored hair. Is there something in being attracted to those who look similar? And, you know, we've heard like people start looking like their dogs <laughs> after a while. We've also heard people start looking like their partners after a while being together. But is there something in attraction that makes you seek out similarities? According to research that is cited in this article by Hungarian scientists, they found that women were inclined to choose partners whose faces resemble those of their fathers, and men were most likely to have a relationship with a woman who looks like their mother. I don't think they studied the LGBTQ community. But then there was this other study by the Institut de Sciences de l'Evolution. I'm so sorry, my my mouth does not make French sounds. And so I know I have some listeners in France, and I apologize for Butchering that is the best I could do. Uh, but they found that a third of men were attracted to images of women that had been digitally manipulated to resemble their own features. They took these pictures and they're like, if we, you know, the, the these filters like on TikTok, you can morph two pictures together. They actually did that. And then they made the women look more like them. And they found those women to be more attractive. So I'm not saying you should do anything about it. I'm just saying it's interesting to note. And it makes me wonder if there's something biologically at play. You know, I'm always talking about this and researching how our conditioning, our biological conditioning impacts our choices and interacts with how we live our modern lives because it's so different than how we are biologically designed. And this makes me really wonder, do opposites attract? Do similar people attract? Are we more attracted to people who reflect our own features back? 
I don't know the answer, but it's something that I will be noodling a lot in the coming weeks. If you're still looking for your person and you don't quite know how to describe what you're looking for, whether it's your doppelbanger or something else, I will help you out. I have a free profile starter kit on my website at datesandmates.com. Signing up for that will also get you into the community and help keep you abreast of what's happening on the Dates and Mates podcast and other ways that I can support you on your journey for love. Again, that's at datesandmates.com. When we come back, Molly Owens of Truity will be here to give us a new way to figure out how we give and receive love. Stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, lovers. I'm here with Molly Owens. She's the CEO and founder of Truity. Molly's a contributor to Inc. Magazine, and she recently appeared on Bloomberg TV. She's a former therapist with a master's degree in counseling psychology. Molly is here to share her research, which builds upon the original five love languages. She will tell us about how her new system at Truity called the Seven Love Styles will address changes that we've come to see in modern day love styles and provide a more inclusive way to figure out how you give and receive love, regardless of your gender or orientation. Please help me give big smooches to Molly Owens. Hi, Demona. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Girl, we got to talk because I am so digging the work that you're doing at Truity. I, for a long time, I feel like there's been a resurgence of an interest in love languages. I feel like I keep getting asked on interviews, like, what kind of gifts should you get for someone based on their love language? It's almost like love languages has transcended its origins. So let's just first lay the groundwork and have you explain what love languages are. And then I really want to dive into this new system of love styles that you have developed at Truity. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. Love languages are really coming back in a big way. They were originally developed in the 80s and 90s by a marriage therapist called Dr. Gary Chapman. And the idea was that people express love in different ways and they receive love in different ways. So if you are doing something that you think is very loving for your partner and you're thinking, oh, I'm doing a great job of showing them how much I love them, but that's not their love language, it can completely fall flat and couples can really have these miscommunications where all their hard work into making their partner feel loved is not panning out. So Dr. Chapman's idea was that if you outline these five love languages that he developed and you explain them to people and then you have couples kind of share what works for them, that gives them that kind of common ground to explain what they want and what they need. Mm-hmm. And since that time, because that, that was a lot of people don't realize that was the 80s. Yeah. And then, um, you know, there there's there was a book about it. Then the website has a quiz. And now everybody's just like love language, love language, love language. I, I will say in my own work, Molly, about 10 years ago, girl, I've been doing this for so long. <laughs> I started to think, you know, there's something to these love languages, mm-hmm. but I think there are more of them. Yes. But Molly, you have a master's degree in psychology. I do not. So (laughs) you actually have done the work to figure out 
that there are more than five. Yes. Tell me about your work and how you got to this point. There are more of them. We, I have a master's and we also have the data. Um, so when we did our research, we really wanted to look at a more current sample and a larger sample and a more diverse sample. So the original research was done on just married Christian couples that were in Dr. Chapman's practice. So a really pretty homogenous sample. And we wanted to see if his findings still held water when you looked at a larger and more diverse sample. So we collected data from over 500,000 visitors to our site. We asked them what made them feel loved, what they liked to do for their partners to show their love, express their love. And we looked at that data to see if it really fit within those five love languages or if there was more to the story. And we did find that when we looked at that data, there were actually sort of seven categories that made sense. And we call those the love styles to sort of differentiate from the original system. So we have seven love styles. A few of them are pretty similar to those original love languages, but some of them really are very new and really reflect how relationships have changed since the 80s. And I think what we're looking for now. I did the quiz, Molly. Yay! I did. And it's not just like a lot of times people assume they're like, this is my love language. But we're never one thing, Mm -hmm. right? We feel love and we give love in many different ways. So it's really kind of a, a cascading scale of priorities in the way that you present. But I have to admit, you're good, Molly, because <laughs> it was it was super on. I, I looked at the list and, and we'll go through what, what the, the seven love styles are. But I looked at the list and I was like, oh, I'm definitely that one. People who listen to the show know me pretty well and know that I'm an intellectual. I love dissecting challenges and talking them through and thinking big. Mm-hmm. And I've said on the show before, I am what they, they call a sapiosexual, which now mm-hmm. apparently is a pejorative term. I don't even know. I can't keep up. <laughs> Luckily, you're here to help keep me on the right side of the love law. But um, that did come out mm-hmm. very strongly mm-hmm. as my number one love style. Tell me what intellectual love style means and then walk me through kind of top line what the other love styles are. Yeah, absolutely. So intellectual is really interesting because it's one of the ones that really wasn't covered at all in the um, the five love languages that really emerged when we did this new data analysis. And it's all about respect. It's all about connecting on a mental level. It's all about having that um, discourse with your partner, having those discussions, respecting their opinions, getting thoughtful advice, really thinking about what's going on mentally and having that mental match. Girl, you speak in my language. (laughs) I mean, that is a hundred percent what attracted me to my Mm. husband and what keeps me invested in the relationship now. We've been together, I'm almost embarrassed to say how long. (laughs) We've been together 18 years. It's our 15th anniversary coming up. And I find that the longer we've been together, the more curious I am about his mind Mm -hmm. and the way he thinks and understanding his opinion. And it just, to me, feels like a never-ending well of discovery, which Mm -hmm. I think... I think is what you should be looking for in a relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. If if you're sort of in that intellectual love style um, zone, for sure, you want somebody whose mind you find interesting, whose opinion you value, who you can really connect with in that way. And I think sort of the red flag, if you're an intellectual sort of person, would be somebody who you kind of just can't have a great conversation with. That's you're out, I think, if that's the case. Mm-mm. I have to admit, when I was uh, when I was dating, I was always just like, they can't keep up. Like, 
Mm. They're not on my level. And then when I met my husband, I was like, whoa, not only can he keep up with me, I'm struggling to keep up with him. Wow, and that really yeah. made me lean in. Yeah. But, you know, I said that I this this ongoing deepening of discovery, I think is important for any relationship. So even mm-hmm. if it's not, your love style is not intellectual, whatever it is that originally attracts you to that person has to really be rooted in your love style or they have to, I would say, learn to, to support you in that love style for it to continue yes. to grow and deepen. Yes. So talk absolutely. to me about the other love styles. Yeah. Um, and and I love that you you gave like the red flags too. So one real benefit of knowing your love style is to give it credence to those kind of those notions that you have in the back of your head to say, oh no, this does, this is important to recognize. So looking at the love styles, intellectual is actually one of the more popular and more important ones. Kind of, it tends to be pretty central to a lot of people's love style. Um, the other one that we found that is also new and also really important is the emotional love style. And that has to do with supporting your partner through hard feelings, through difficult times, and really showing empathy to your partner. And that one was... Oh, again. Yeah. Speaking my language again, because I'm always talking about empathetic dating. Mm-hmm. Wait, can we roll back the clock a second? Because you said intellectual was one of the most popular yes. love styles, but you also said that is one of the newer ones. Yes, yes. Do you think that something has shifted in society since this was originally done or mm-hmm. there was something about the sample that was originally looked at? Why do you think that is such a dramatic shift today? Yeah, so I think it's a combination of both. We really are seeing a big shift in what we expect from marriage and from relationships. Whereas in the 80s and before then, relationships were a lot more functional. When you married someone, it was because you weren't sort of allowed to do certain things in society based on your gender and you kind of needed somebody to fill those gaps. Women often weren't allowed to work outside the home. Men weren't really allowed to kind of have that emotional awareness. So it was the yin and yang, but you really needed the other half. Um, And as that's shifted, and as we're not so bound by those gender roles, we're kind of reconceptualizing our relationships to say, okay, I don't need to be in this relationship. So what do I want from it? What am I getting out of it? And for the most part, that's friendship, that's emotional support, that's that connection that makes us feel like we're becoming better people, we're growing spiritually, whatever it is that we're bringing to that relationship. It's not so much about division of labor anymore, it's about that kind of fulfillment. And I think that's why we saw the intellectual and the emotional love styles come out so strongly in our data, and also why that was what was missing from the original five love languages. There's so much in there that I could unpack with you. And I feel like we could talk a whole episode about that because you're you're absolutely right. Gender roles have shifted. The purpose of marriage has shifted. I'm writing a book about it, The Modern oh. Love Myth. Right now, it's a time when our reasons for selecting a partner are changing. And mm-hmm. yet we're still playing by these old rule books that don't really serve us anymore. So I really appreciate that you've taking the time to do this work and develop a new system and a new lexicon. I'm going to go through my next love style. You hit on two of them, obviously, (laughs) intellectual and emotional. My number two, however, was activity. Okay. What does that mean? Activity so is pretty equivalent to the quality time 
love language in the original system. It's not hugely different, but it is a little bit more focused on activities, leisure activities, hobbies, sharing that with your partner. So we saw a lot of travel together, going on trips, like learning how to do a new skill together, taking a cooking class together. All that would be sort of under the umbrella of activity. And for some people, it's about they share a hobby with their partner. And for others, it's just about, you know, here's my thing that I'm doing, but you show an interest in it. You kind of want to hear about it. Maybe you join with me occasionally. I think people do put a lot of emphasis on this. And I'm saying this as someone who had that as my number two, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think sometimes we put too much emphasis on shared activities Mm -hmm. and it may cause us to overlook. I'm I'm just musing here for a second, Molly, but it may cause us to overlook some of the other love styles that are actually more important to long-term compatibility. Mm-hmm. Because in, in the research that I've done, you really only need like one or two <laughs> activities that you can share yes. and, and to actually enjoy the company of your partner. Mm-hmm. And people are looking, they're like sorting based on like, well, they have to like golf and they have to also mm-hmm. be able to hike with, and I do like boats and I want to travel here and I, and I like a beach vacation, but I also like the city. And it's like, to me, it, as someone who helps people move into successful relationships, I think we front load that mm-hmm. a little bit too much. So I appreciate that you broaden it out to also being able to have an interest or I. it sounds like a support yes. of your partner's activities. Because like for me, I got to do my yoga on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. That is that is a non-starter. Um, you're just going to have to take the kids because I'm going to do my <laughs> yoga. Yes. But I've tried taking them to yoga. It's not going to happen. I'm 15 years in and I, I just <laughs> I have to let up. that go. It's not it's not happening. <laughs> but he he appreciates my interest in mm-hmm. yoga and supports me in pursuing the activity yes. that I enjoy. Exactly. And if you come home and you say, oh, my gosh, I had a great yoga session. He's hopefully listening and saying, awesome. I know that was so important for you. <laughs> And that's really what it's about. Yeah, sure. Like when he's like, I did this New York Times crossword puzzle and I did it in four minutes and 38 seconds. But my friend did it in six minutes and 27 seconds. And it made me wonder. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) first of all, again, intellectual. Right. 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 (laughs) I'm like, I couldn't do that crossword puzzle in four days and 27 (laughs) seconds. But I appreciate that you care about that and I support your interest in this activity. It's the tracking, really, because my husband will go on a bike ride that's 40 miles long and I don't even understand how that's possible. But, you know, I can hear about it and I can say, that's awesome. I'm glad you had a super awesome bike ride and I watched our son while you were doing it and that's all great. But yes, I'm not getting on a bike and going 40 miles with him for sure. That sounds like a... A sore, sore booty. <laughs> That's a long way to go. Your legs. I mean, whew. Yes. I do Peloton, but like, you know, I cap out at about eight miles. So I can't even imagine. That seems reasonable. Yeah, exactly. So I don't get it. But the important thing is kind of being supportive, being there, being kind of emotionally present for this is what you want to do. That is important. Yeah. Okay. So going down the list. The next one I want to talk about is physical. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting. As you said, your system was developed based on looking at a more diverse 
segment of relationships. So both Mm -hmm. people who were single moving into relationships and people who were already married. Mm -hmm. And as someone who has been married for a long time, the physical changes Mm -hmm. and evolves. Most of my listeners are single or in newer relationships. If they take the Love Styles quiz at truity.com, hello, (laughs) (laughs) they take the Love Style quiz and find that physical is really important to them. How does that factor into long-term compatibility? So physical is an interesting one because it really combines both the kind of sex side of things, that attraction and intimacy, and also just the sort of snuggly, huggy stuff that we like. We found that it did often go together for people, so that's why it's not two separate love styles. Um, but you have to be, bear in mind that there are those two aspects of it, and they can shift over a relationship. So you have kids, you know that, It's not going to be hot and fiery for a certain period of time when your kids are little. But if you are a physical sort of person, if that's your love style, you want to make sure that you still make time to cuddle and snuggle on the couch that, you know, if you're watching Netflix kind of in a daze after a long day, that you're at least physically close to each other. And when you are starting out in a relationship, what you're looking for are the signs that the other person maybe has the same, at least roughly the same tolerance level for physical closeness. So if you're a very huggy, snuggly person, it's going to be a conflict to be with somebody who's very standoffish. Um, and part of about part of what's important about love styles is to learn how to adapt to your partner. But I think this is one where we have sort of a biological need, and it's a little bit harder to overcome it if you're really kind of off kilter with the person that you're with. And that's true for sex drive, as well as kind of just that physical closeness. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, the last three. Okay. We're just doing them in my order. Which is perfect because it gives it context. <laughs> You're like analyzing me right now. <laughs> I don't know what the, the traditional order um, in terms of how they show up in society, but practical is the next one. What's practical? So this is funny because the order that you have is pretty typical of our data sample as a whole. The ones that came up as important <laughs> for you are, you know, generally the ones that people score higher on. So this is roughly I'm going so in basic. order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so basic, y'all. <laughs> So practical is pretty equivalent to the acts of service love language. So if you're familiar with the acts of service from Dr. Chapman's system, it's it's roughly on. The only thing that we adjusted there was we found the acts of service concept to be pretty gendered. So in Dr. Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, usually when he talked about housework, he framed it as a woman's job. And if a man did it, then he was helping out his wife, which really doesn't fly anymore in the year 2022. Girl, I just blacked out for a second. <laughs> <laughs> you blacked out and you woke up Woo! in 1960. <gasps> yeah. Oh my gosh. And then I was like, I was like, let me get in the time machine. I can't take it. I can't take it. But you're really, you're really speaking my language. My, you're speaking my love style. And you're speaking to my audience. Yeah. Like that is just not how we live anymore. No, it's you're not. literally blowing my mind and everything <laughs> I thought about these love languages. Good. Yeah, I think they were they were sort of due for a rethink for sure. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. And just the way we we conduct ourselves in relationships and our expectations has changed a lot. I felt like you were over my shoulder when I was taking the quiz, Molly, because <laughs> the first quarter of the year is always crazy in the love business. So I have been 
I have been worthless. And I, you know, I'm not shy on the show about how my wife's skills just suck. Like, <laughs> terrible, terrible. Like, if, you, if you're waiting to have dinner for, you're waiting on me to cook, to eat, you're going to starve because it's not going <laughs> to happen and I'm not going to cook it. And uh, my husband also does the laundry because I can't. And <laughs> he, it was a lot. He was feeling it was a lot. And we talk, mm-hmm. we were talking about it. And in the quiz, you you say like, there's something to the effect of, basically, I won't do the chore for you, but I'll find someone to do the chore. Uh, I was like, look, I understand you're doing a lot of laundry and I appreciate that. You don't have to do the laundry. Let's do fluff and fold. Mm-hmm. I like that there was the option for like an act of service can be, I found someone right. to wash your car. I took your car to the car wash. It right. doesn't have to mean like I actually washed your car physically with my own hands. Not necessarily. Because yeah. I can't. I yeah. just can't. <laughs> but let's then bring up the financial since that is uh I talked about. Yeah. Cuz you know that you know this is this is a very bougie way of thinking. Not everybody can can do fluff and fold. No. And yeah. um I I recognize that in itself is a privilege. So (laughs) finances, how does that factor in? So financial is really about being there with resources and saying that what's mine is yours kind of thing. Um, So it doesn't have to be bougie. It could be, I know you can't pay your phone bill this month, so I'm going to step in and pay it for you. Or it could be, I know that you hate your job, so I will support us for a couple of months while you look for something else. It's just really being there for the other person and saying, that I have these resources and I'm going to share them with you. Okay, I did do that. For a second, I I cringed when you were like, I'll pay your phone bill. And that made me cringe. Why did that make me cringe, Molly? I don't know. It's not your love style, it sounds like. It it's sounds like it's pretty far style. down, yeah. It, well, it actually was the last one. So I went out of order. The last one in your in your book is appreciation. That's your, la- that's your last love language? No appreciation that was whatsoever? My- no, that financial was my last oh, okay. one. I switched okay. it up. I was, okay. just, I was just trying to keep you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> but it is down there. Appreciation is is, da- oh, is, interesting. is lower. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I, so I'm not appreciative? Or? It's the other way <laughs> I around. I appreciate so appreciation. People I, who have the appreciation love style, they really want to hear that kind of verbal positive feedback. They want to hear, you did a great job. I really appreciated that. Thank you. All that kind of rah-rah sort of verbal feedback. So this is kind of similar to the words of affirmation. It is pretty similar to the words of affirmation. The only thing that we found that kind of needed to be updated was that people now have more of a need to kind of have that congratulatory aspect from their partner. So they maybe have goals that they're trying to achieve. They're working really hard and they want their partner to be excited for them, be there for them emotionally when they reach that, when they grab that brass ring. See, this is Instagram talking. We need the likes. We need the likes. Yeah. And in our relationship, we need the likes. I think the reason, because I remember as I was taking the quiz, I remember thinking, I don't necessarily need that Mm -hmm. from my partner because I can get that Mm -hmm. from other sources. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a really important button on this whole conversation Mm -hmm is that sometimes we look to our partner to give us all of these things. That you've outlined seven different love styles, Mm -hmm. seven ways that you can feel loved. And I don't know if it's fair to put all seven on your partner Mm -hmm. when you can receive it 
from other people in your life that that love and support you. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think in a sort of larger societal context, we probably do depend too much on our partners because a lot of us don't have those really strong social networks outside of our primary relationships. So it's great to kind of think about these things and think about what do I prefer to get from my partner and what could I get somewhere else from friends, from family, um, from strangers on the internet, hopefully not primarily strangers on the internet but you know there are some but things- i'll take the likes i will take the likes molly <laughs> we'll all take the likes nothing wrong I mean, with if the they're likes. offering them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's a really good point and when you think about love styles it doesn't necessarily have to be just in your primary romantic relationship it's kind of about what makes you feel connected and that can be with other people in your life as well you have given me a ton of food for thought okay everybody Got to take this quiz. You got to get in the know. Molly, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate you sharing this system with the world and especially with the Dates and Mates audience today. Awesome. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Truity and take the seven love styles test at truity.com. That's spelled T-R-U-I-T-Y.com. You know what we do. We'll put the link in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer your listener questions, including my anxious attachment style is getting to me. How do I tell my new partner? And I panic when potential matches ask me about relocating. How will I know if it's the right choice for me? Ooh, two very juicy questions coming right up. I love hearing from you. I love supporting you in love. And now it's time for our favorite segment. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. This is an Instagram message from a listener we'll call Jay. Jay says, I'm seeing someone new, hooray Jay, and it's been a few weeks and it's going very well so far. She has all the things I'm looking for. There's chemistry. It's great. So this problem is most likely a me thing because there are times she just doesn't text me back for a day, a day and a half. I have an anxious slash preoccupied attachment style and I'm fully aware of it. So when she doesn't text back for a while, I assume the worst. I'm afraid of asking for too much of her or looking like I'm emotionally unstable or something. I just feel like if it was just one text saying good morning or she's thinking of me or if she called, that would be great. But when I don't hear back from her for two days and we haven't made plans for our next date yet, I get super nervous that she's about to ghost me. I've been ghosted so much, but I really really like her. The last thing I'll say is that this is the most interest someone has shown me. She even gave me a giant bouquet of flowers on her second or third date and even introduced me to her friends twice. So it's because she's everything I'm looking for and she seems to really like me too that I just don't want to mess this up. I'm generally an open book, but when it comes to sharing my attachment style, I feel weird about it. Should I tell her about my anxious attachment style in hopes that she can accommodate it? Thanks again and love the podcast. Jay, I feel your anxiousness through that message. I feel it. So first of all, do this with me. Let's just take a breath. Let's take a breath and know that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. We get so wrapped up in every little moment, especially when there's something that we really want on the other side. And for you, it's this relationship. But you have to find a way to sit in the uncomfortable. You've heard, you've been listening to the show for a year. You know that 
that's something that is a skill set that needs to be fortified and developed, okay? Especially knowing if you're anxious. So I uh, let me give you a little bit of homework just to talk about the anxiousness, and then I'll talk about what to do in the relationship. Other ways to manage anxiousness, practice yoga. Put yourself intentionally in uncomfortable situations where you can't move yet. Because in a yoga pose, let's say a bind, um, if you've never done yoga, that's like basically something where like your hands are behind your back or your 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 legs are crossed and you can't get out of it. Of course you can get out of it, but what happens when you get out of it? You lose the benefit of the pose. And so when you stay in it, you start to learn what it feels like to be uncomfortable and breathe through it anyway. So that's a really simple practice you can do to start getting used to sitting in that discomfort. And when you sit in that, that discomfort, you might get some clarity around the origin of these anxious thoughts and where it comes from in your past history and in maybe your family of origin. And speaking of your past history, you did say also that you've been ghosted before. So our mind likes to tell stories and it likes to be able to complete the story. So you're already projecting to the end of the story because you think you know how this story ends or you're afraid of the potential ending of stories in the past. And you've got to stay in the moment and let it be good. You're already getting ahead of yourself. Now, Jay, I want to point out one statement about your relationship that I think is really key for you to hear. You said, should I tell her about my anxious attachment style in hopes that she'll accommodate it? This is a very sticky situation to put your partner in because who is responsible for dealing with your anxious attachment style? Is it your partner? No, it's you. Now, you may be able to explain away some of the behaviors that you think might be pushing her away by saying, I'm sorry if, if I'm doing this too much. I have an anxious attachment style and I'm working on it. And by, I mean, by the way, I didn't even say the second part of the the task for you is is also working with a counselor, a therapist, someone that can help you process your anxious attachment. And, and you can move from anxious attachment into secure attachment with the right kind of self-work and the right relationship. It sounds like from what you've told me, she might have a secure attachment style, which is great because it doesn't add more fuel to the fire. Like imagine if you're both anxious. <laughs> That's when, that's when, woo, look out. But if she has a secure attachment style and you're still working on yours, then you have an anchor, you have a constant, and then it's up to you to do that work to get to secure because you have to be able to trust her. You have to be able to trust that what she says and her actions, when they show that she cares about you, you have to be able to trust that she means that. And this is why this is one of the pillars of long-term compatibility, trust. And this is why I put it at the end because it takes a lot of time to develop that trust and to see if over time the person you're with has their actions match their words consistently. So figure out something to do in that moment where you start to feel anxious, like, ah, I got to reach out to her. I'm freaking out. Is she going to text me back? Have a girlfriend, like have your... Have your like anxious attachment buddy that you text in, instead of texting her. Like, I'm feeling anxious. It's coming on. And you're like, buddy, help me out. Woosah. Have your, your meditation app. Have your yoga practice that you do. 
Do something else instead to shift the feeling. And then you can start to model the behavior that you would like and the way that you would like to feel supported. So send her the check-in messages and say, I love sending these messages. I love these receiving these kind of messages from you when you have the time. But know that she may not be conditioned to text multiple times a day. And in the beginning phase of a relationship, I'm just going to say it, Jay, texting once a day, totally cool and actually is my preference because you're still building that anticipation in between dates. If you were talking all the time and that's what you've maybe done in the past and that's fueled your anxious attachment style, then when you get together, sometimes it feels like uh, there's not much going on now. Like we've talked about everything. We don't have anticipation for seeing each other. We're just feeding each other's anxiety. So try that. Try to Go with this cadence for right now and see what you can do to suspend your feelings of anxiety and really try to listen and stay in the moment of what's happening because it's all right there in front of you. And if you're projecting out to the future, that is exactly where anxiety lives. But if you're responding to what's in the moment, you can't be anxious because you're too focused on dealing with the inputs that you're getting, and responding in an authentic way. Our second question was emailed to us from a listener named T. T says, Dear Demona, I've done a lot of work on removing internal barriers through listening to your podcast over the past year. I've improved my profile, opened up my filters, and gone on fun dates. My one issue, however, how can I figure out whether it'd be okay to move to a different city away from my friends, family, and current job to be in a relationship? My problem is that I hesitate at the idea of being far removed from them, but I also know I'm potentially restricting myself if I only look at people within a 10-mile radius. For context, due to religious reasons, I wouldn't move in with my partner without being married, so I wouldn't be able to test the idea before fully committing to it, if that makes sense. Culturally, women are expected to move to their husband's location, too, so it's unlikely that someone would move to be with me. What can I do to help me figure out if it'd be okay moving? I'm tired of spiraling every time I see a person's location or not knowing how to answer when I'm asked about relocating. All right, T. This question has a few nuances of what I told Jay. You're getting way ahead of yourself here thinking about relocating when it sounds like there isn't even a person that you want to relocate for. So you may be creating more drama for yourself by wondering what would happen in a scenario that isn't even potentially going to occur. I believe in keeping your radius as wide as possible. And the possible part is the variable that is specific to you. So for you, if your family connections are very important. Maybe, you know, I've talked on the show before about moving when your job doesn't require you to be in a particular location, but a close family relationship or a love for your city. Like, I love LA. It will take a lot to get me out of LA. I contemplated before I met my husband moving to another city, but I'd have to really love that person. <laughs> before I give up my first love of my city. And for you, your first love 
is your family, it sounds like. So that's where the interesting part is here, Jay. And that's where you need to figure out where do I want to build my life? Forget the person for a moment. Can you build your life in a place apart from your family? And for you, that answer may be no. And for you, I would totally support that. Sometimes actually constricting your parameters can be really freeing if you've already done the work to figure out what that barrier is. So if that barrier is not outside my city, not outside my county, then you can do other things to fine-tune your search within those parameters. How can I find more people who are qualified, who meet my needs, who also would like to remain in this area beyond the app, maybe, or within the app using different tools, or maybe on a different app? Now, if you say to me, Demona, that's not that important. I could be somewhere beyond. 10-mile radius, 10-mile radius is not that big for most cities. So, I would say, let's just stretch it. Let's just, let's just, I would say, just stretch it. Like, we don't have to go across country yet. Could you stretch it to 25 and just see what happens then? And when you are faced with the person and you feel that connection, then you can start answering these other questions of what would this look like and could we move in together? And let's remember, I talked last week about the single woman tax. And I gave a lot of options for ways that you might be able to test it out by moving to the city, but not moving in with that person. Could you move in with a single pod? Could you move in with other women? Could you move with a family member? Could you figure out another way to test this without having to move in with that person and commit to get married? That's a lot. And I know we love watching TV shows where people just throw caution to the wind and throw rings at one another and profess their love, but that's not real. It's just not real. And I want you to take your time. I don't want you to feel pressured or rushed into committing to a relationship until you know it's really right for you. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 402 of Dates and Mates. You absolutely need to take Truity's seven love styles test. And let me know how you scored. Hit me up on Instagram. I want to know what your love style is and what you learned from this episode. I am totally rethinking my relationship with love languages after talking to Molly. And I'm sure after you take this quiz, you will too. Speaking of letting me know and speaking of Instagram, I want to know what's on your mind. You can reach out to me at Demona Hoffman on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can DM me your questions on any platform, and I love to hear voice memos. Remember the 400th episode and how great it was to hear everybody's voices? I want to hear from you, so send me your questions, and you just might get your answer on a future episode. You can also give me a call, leave me a voicemail, or send me a text anytime, day or night, at 424-246-6255. We will be back again next Tuesday with tech expert, Burton Kelso. We will be talking about online safety, including dating apps, social media, and your own Google profile. Ooh, you're not going to want to miss that one. Until next week, I wish you happy dating.